I'm Mike Gorman, and you're listening to the Celtics Pod podcast for Celtics Blog. What's good, everybody? Happy Friday. As usual, I'm joined by Mr. Will Weir, and we're going to be looking at some other players that could possibly be on their way out of Boston, could possibly be re-signing for the long time, or it could be a dice roll. Before we get into that, though, we need to know, how is Mr. Will Weir doing today? I'm doing fantastic, Adam, man. I'm happy to be here with you today, bro. I'm, feel- I'm feeling good today. I don't know I don't know what it is, but something about I really enjoy these offseason pods. I mean, I obviously, I wish the Celtics were still playing. Let's just, you know, get that out of the way first. But I really like these offseason podcasts, man, because they're just full of potential. You know, there's so much that, that's out there that can happen. So I'm excited to chop it up with you today. I mean, you say that you're happy that... Like you're not happy it's the off season. You're not happy there's no games on right now. But let's be honest, with the way the season went and how much basketball there was in like such a short span of time, I felt like I needed the break, if I'm being quite honest with you. But now I'm kind of like, dude, when's the next game on? Like just <laughs> I I've already started going back through game film of the whole season just for that Celtics kind of that fix. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I mean, it was such a struggle that there was like a mild sense of relief when the Celtics season ended just a, you know just about a week and a half ago or whatever it was. But you're right. Now that, you know, we're like I'm kind of getting into the remainder of the eight teams that are in the playoffs, there's a part of me that's like, okay, I'm, I've watched these teams enough. When's my team coming back? You know, but it's just we got to wait now. Got, got a long ways to wait. <laughs> See, like, I'm never upset watching another team play. Like, I just enjoy watching the basketball. Like, um, you know, you see Donovan Mitchell lighting things up, and it's awesome. You see Devin Booker just going on a tear, and it's like, man, this is so dope. But then, like, you see something like that, and you're like, but when do I get to see Jason Tatum do this? Yeah. You know what I mean? When can I see Jalen Brown, Duncan Swan in transition, or Rob Williams do some ridiculous high-flying aerodynamics like i want to see that and and that's so far away that i i have to kind of check myself and be like but i'm still watching superstars play yeah no and it's and it's really great for us who are so in the weeds when it comes to the celtics during the season to kind of like there is part of it you get to get back you get to sit back and watch some of the guys you don't watch as intensely when we're so focused in on you know the celtics and their own ecosystem but i know there's one thing i want to ask you this that i catch myself doing as i watch some of these games i was watching the game with the sixers and hawks the other night when i think it was late in the third shake milton just went off for like 14 points or something like that to, to end the third quarter and i catch myself a lot of times watching some of these games and i'm like man who on the celtics would be able to do this? i start thinking and trying to compare different aspects of these teams of like who could be that guy and i don't know if this is funny or sad i ended up with well carson edwards had that one game against the clippers and that was the only thing i could think of to come up with that but i do sometimes catch myself looking at these teams through the lens of the celtics which is actually an interesting practice within itself I mean, Carson Edwards was always meant to be that microwave scorer, right? Yeah, that was what he's supposed to be, which is why it came to mind for the one time that wasn't preseason that I could think of. And it was, yeah, he's had good games and they're always against Cleveland. And if you're not playing Cleveland, (laughs) it's uh, it's rough. But it's true. Like I do it too. I find that my my biggest downfall is I struggle to just sit back and watch the game as a fan now. Like I have a notebook where I keep notes of plays or specific um, timestamps and I've just got into such a habit of sitting there watching a game with the notepad and the pen and jotting stuff down that I'm like, 
dude, I forgot how to just kind of sit down and watch a game. You know what I mean? Like, and that's the hardest adjustment for me going back from like, um, cause it's for us guys, like, um, you know, it's basically been a short off season as well for people that write about the sport or podcast about it. So I'm not used to having that pen and paper. Like I was watching, um, I was catching up on the net series, the Nets Milwaukee series. Cause I, I hadn't seen either game. So I sat down last night and watched both games, um, Wednesday night for anybody listening. And, um, Dude, I just took like four or five pages worth of notes and I'm like, I'm never going to use this information ever <laughs> because I'm never going to write about it. You can't it. turn I'm, it off though now. You can't turn yeah, it off. It's just there. And like, I'm just like, man, how did I watch games before? Why do I? And, I'm like, and then I'm looking at my notepads. Like, I, I buy the moleskin ones that are like 10, 15 bucks a notepad. And I'm like, I've just wasted four pages. <laughs> and I'm never going to write about it, dude. Like, this stuff is it, it's fun though, man. I, I do love playoff basketball. Oh, it's fantastic, and it's on every night. So that's that's my favorite part is that it's just two straight months of the highest level of basketball that, that you can imagine. You know, the top players, like you talked about, getting to watch all these superstars, and it just continues night after night, and you get so much variety. And right now, you know, this league is so full of top-tier talent that every team has multiple guys that you're looking at that do different things that you get to see something different every night. So for me as a huge basketball fan, you know, that just keeps me tuned in and keeps my attention every single time. Be honest with me. Give me full disclosure right now. Yeah. How much are you enjoying watching Chris Middleton just get absolutely smoked? So this is this is great. Uh, I talked about this with, with Greg on our podcast last night, and I went back through and actually checked his statistics for from when he played the Celtics because he eviscerates the Celtics. So – in the two playoff series that he's played against the Celtics, the seven-game series back in 2018 and then the five-game series in 2019, which was the Kyrie year, the seven-game series, he shot over 60% from three-point range. And in the second series, like the five-game series, he shot just under 48%. This year in the playoffs, he's shooting 41% from the field and shooting 35% from three-point range. Watching Chris Middleton is one, and I really like Chris Middleton in the regular season. I'll just put that out there. I really like him. He's pretty much 40, 50, 90 guy. But how he eviscerates the Celtics in big moments, but then seemingly crumbles against every other team just doesn't make any sense to me. And one thing I have noticed is he doesn't get a lot of separation on his shots. He takes a lot of tough shots. But it's, it's very frustrating to see the numbers against the Celtics, which our eyes have not lied to us. He's an absolute Celtic killer, but the rest of his playoff numbers are, you know, are pretty trash when you look at it in the grand scheme of things. And it's funny because like he's so good at like creating his own space, creating his own shot and teeing up other guys. So to see him get smoked is just like, dude, this is bad, man. Like you're against arguably the best team in history when we're talking about offensive firepower mm-hmm. and you guys with Giannis, a multi-time MVP with Chris Middleton, apparently the guy that, you know, just as you said, is a Celtics destruction button and Drew Holiday. And but you're making the Celtics look great. And the Celtics were down three starters for a good portion of that series. So uh, please continue to do that, Milwaukee. It's, uh, <laughs> you know, it's very humbling for us Celtics guys to know that we put up a better fight than you. And we put up a better fight than you without the first guy that we really need to touch on. And this is what you call ultimate segueing. 
I love and it. I, I always ruin the segues by pointing out the fact that it's a segue. But I'm. Just but hey, I, I, I do the hosting duties on, on the other show. I know exactly where you're coming from, Adam. You feel so dang proud of yourself. You're like, oh, I've nailed this transition right here. Yeah. You want to let the people know. Just, 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 you know, put some respect on it. But um, <laughs> seriously, look, the first name we need to talk about who wasn't involved really um, in that series, you know, we had him for game one, then I think we had him for a brief amount of game two, and then he was gone for the rest of the, the series, was Robert Williams. Uh, turf toe, you know, has nothing to do with that hip injury that kept him out for most of last year. Nothing to do with those knee injuries. That means he's never going to be more than like a 25 to 27 minute a night player. But what it did mean was, Yet again, Robert Williams was not available when you needed him. He missed stretches of the regular season like he has every year since he's been in the league. And every time he gets some momentum behind him and he starts to show where his ceiling could be and you can start to see, like, hey, if he adds this X, Y, and Z to his game, then we're going to get a player of this archetype that's going to help propel us from A to B. And every time you feel like you're starting to see the the light at the end of the tunnel, bang, another injury. And you just like, how much has this one hampered his development? How much has this set him back? Where's the momentum coming from now? And with him being up for a, an extent, he's extension eligible. He's only got a year left on his deal. I think we should realistically just at least explore what we would like to do with him if we were in Brad Stevens' shoes. Yeah, and this is going to be one of the bigger decisions this offseason that Brad has to look at. What are the options that we have when it comes to Lob Williams? And what's the best way to operate going forward? Because I've kind of tried, I've tried to put myself in an area where I'm thinking about this from all lenses. And I think that there's an argument to be made for whichever way that, that you feel or I feel or maybe somebody else feels. I think there's a way that you could position it that it makes sense. And it's a really tricky position because I think, you know, while it's too early to fret about, you know, is Jason Tatum, is Jalen Brown asking out of town? And I see that pop up here and there. It's not too early to start thinking about the timelines of the key role players and the key guys that are going to elevate Jason Tatum and Jalen and Jalen Brown, if they're your core going forward, it's not too early to start worrying about the timelines that start to align with them. And that's for me where I start with with Rob Williams and what I would do. And so I went back and looked at some of the more recent, you know, extensions that that have been out there over the last few years just to kind of get a feel of the non-max level extension. We know he's not going to be there, but I wanted to check and see, you know, Derek White, four years, 73 million. OG Ananobi, four years, 72. Luke Kennard, four years, 64. Markel, three years, 50. Those are all just a few from the last offseason that kind of fell into, you know, those non-max guys, but still got an extension which is where I think Rob is. And I think the first thing that we need to talk about before we, we really say how we feel about, you know, where we would go is what is his value? You know, he's missed so much time. And you're right, it's a bunch of different injuries, most of them being his lower body, which as a big man who relies extremely heavily on his bounce and his athleticism, that's concerning, even if they're not the same issue over and over again. So let me pose this to you, Adam. Right now, as we're talking about whether we should or should not extend, what do you think Rob Williams' value is from a, from a financial perspective as far as what you think ideally you'd want to pay him per year? You see, so this is where, like, to me, this question always has to have two factors put into it. What is his current 
impact level to the team in terms of how much value does he add in terms of winning, in terms of being in that rotation, how much does he elevate your your ceiling as a collective? And then the second part of that is how much growth do you envision to happen or um, throughout the duration of the extension? Mm-hmm. Right. So because the idea is with a guy like Rob Williams or any young guy, even Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, the same argument should always be levied. Like well, the player we we extend should be a shadow of the player that comes back up in free agency. The improvement should be incremental. So at the end of the, the duration of that set, that first like official pro contract, because you have your, your rookie contract and then this is your first negotiation into the real world of professional sports where you need your agent to start talking about numbers. And, you know, it's not the rookie contract where you're just given a number and that's what you get. So I think at the end of this contract, the value of Rob Williams needs to far outweigh the contract he's got now. And like, if you look at Marcus Smart's a prime example, when Marcus Smart got that extension, a lot of people were like, that's a fair number. Now, at the end of that contract, Marcus Smart is a far better shooter than what he was when he signed that contract. His playmaking has taken leaps forward. There is an argument to be made that his defense has suffered for those improvements. But as an overall player, I would argue that Marcus Smart is a more complete basketball player now than when he signed that extension. And that's what I'd be looking for from Robert Williams. So I would say anywhere between 8 to 12 million would be fair, not only be, uh, specifically, specifically because his injury history has brought that value down a bit. If he'd been healthy all season, we could be looking at the 12 to 16 million range. Because of these injuries, I'm saying 8 to 12, and you're doing him a solid by extending him now. So you fall very much in line with my set of thinking where when you talk about the value of having a guy like Rob Williams on the court, extremely small sample size of when he's playing major minutes as a starter. I believe the Celtics record was eight and three in the 11 games he started. And that even counts, I believe, one game against the Heat where he only played the the first half or so when he tried to come back. So, you know, with that sample size, the value, I think, is extreme for what Rob Williams can bring, especially when, you know, all of this has to center around in one way or another. How does this player complement your main core, which is the Jays? And something that they're not the best at at their skill set right now is creation. And Rob Williams is not necessarily a creator. I consider him much more of a facilitator, but he's someone that helps open up the offense so that if you get the other right pieces around, you can see the ball move a lot more fluidly when he was on the court when you add in him with the Jays and Marcus and I would really love to see what Fournier with that five would look like I think that could be a really potent offensive and defensive lineup that we didn't really have a chance to see this year so I think when you think of just his value in a vacuum in that sense he definitely lines up in that you know 14 to 18 million range but there's just not enough sample size that you can even come close to justifying that for him right now so Swinging back to the other end of the spectrum, when you factor in all of the injury history that goes into Rob Williams' time with the Celtics in these first three years, I think you're right. I think it's about that 8 to 12 million, you know, is probably appropriate range for where he ends up. Now, I'd have to go back and dig in more. I don't know how many extensions get done that that fall in, you know, that low of a range because I was looking through some of them now and, you know, Markel Fultz at three years, 50 million still puts that at 16 million a year for a guy that has a lot of injuries. Obviously, he was a number one pick and that's a little bit of a different scenario given the Magic's timetable and what they're working with. 
But for Rob Williams, you know, if the Celtics are going to extend, and I will say my my thought process right now is if they're able to extend him for $10 million or less, go ahead and do it for, you know, three, four years. I can live with that. That's a contract that it is not necessarily going to come back and bite us in the butt if it, if it goes horribly wrong. Anything beyond that, I'm a little bit wary of doing it, and I would actually take the gamble to go ahead and play the year out, let him hit restricted free agent because he will be a restricted free agent. So that's something important to keep in mind that should he stay healthy and his, his value goes up, that you do have that restricted free agency to be able to retain him. Or if come the trade deadline, if he's very healthy and he's playing well and there's certain trade opportunities that open up, maybe you know that's another opportunity to move him then as well if you're worried about that. But I think for me, if you can get him for under $10 million, I'd extend it. If it's going to go over $10 million, I'm going to lean towards playing the year out and see what happens when he hits restricted free agency. How about you? Yeah, so you hit on something really important there, the fact that he's a restricted free agent. And that's important because once a player usually enters the last year of his contract, their value decreases because the other team in, in a trade scenario, this is. Another team has to kind of take into account the fact that that player might, you might trade for some, like Marcus Smart. So somebody could trade for Marcus Smart and then Marcus Smart be like, hey, thank you for having me here, but this really, this isn't for me. I don't like, I don't like the city. I don't like the teammates. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go, you know, and then you lose that player for nothing. When you're with Robert Williams, you have that cushion of knowing that if we really like this guy and he provide, and we feel like we can get him healthy more than what Boston could, we can match what any, whatever anyone comes exactly. in with, you know? So you get that security blanket with the restricted free agency, which makes him more of a valuable trade piece than what Marcus Smart would be due to the ideas we just discussed. What I would say is my my hard no line is at a 12 million. Any more than 12, I think 12 is like probably an overpay as well yeah. with the questions that are currently sitting around. And I'm not adverse to saying, hey, we're going to give you a short deal, a prove yourself deal, and we're going to give you a two plus one or a one plus one, you know? So then you've got all of the upcoming season, then you're going to get some real money for a year. And then if you stayed healthy for two years, well, now we can renegotiate at more market Mm -hmm. value for what your skill set is. If you've been injured for a year, well, you've got a player option to fall back on, pick that up and stay, try and prove yourself again. But you've got to look at this from Rob Williams' perspective as well. How much does he trust his body to stay fit and healthy? Right. And if he doesn't feel like he's going to be able to sustain longevity in the league is he going to want some guaranteed money up front now from the Celtics I mean we're talking eight mil like it sounds low because we're talking NBA salaries but <laughs> yeah we're talking this guy could like you know you sign a three year eight million dollar a year deal you, you're set for life or you should I mean that's be. generational wealth that's that's game changing for for him and his family to be able to do that so that's that's you know nothing to to sneeze at but, but I want to ask you this and you know if Rob Williams and his camp decide, yeah, we should we should probably take this three year, twenty four million dollar dollar deal, does that worry you a little bit that they're that they're also agreeing? Yeah, our health is a concern long term. Like we we need to take this money now. Like is does that you know? And I'm playing a little bit of devil's advocate here, but does that raise a little bit of a red flag? Of course it does. Of course yeah. <laughs> it does. But, it, but it, for me, it also shows a level of realism. Like, hey, we've been in the league for years. We haven't been healthy for one of them. And someone's still offering us $8 million a year. You know, the only other option for Rob Williams is to not sign an extension and bank on himself being healthy for an entire season. So when you do come to the bargaining table, you can be like, 
right then when you're talking to other teams and you're trying to get that big offering to make to force the Celtics to match or decline to match your argument can be yeah I had health issues for three years but this year I've shown you that I can sustain my fitness and be an impactful player now you can start looking at that 14 15 16 17 million dollar range but I just don't see I think there's enough data now where we can look back and be like Rob Williams is going to miss a quarter of the season I think that's just going to be the way it is right and at which point that value has to come down to that eight to ten million range and if Rob Williams is realistic enough to understand that himself maybe he feels like you know the Celtics have stuck with me uh, you know, I've let them down. I don't. I personally don't think he's let them down. I think when he's played, he's been fantastic. Then maybe he does just say, right, give me a two plus one, $8 million a year. You know, I'm still going to be young enough to negotiate a big time deal if I stay healthy. And if not, like we say, I've got some generational wealth and we can go from there at the end of this contract. Yeah, no, I think that's, that's all perfectly reasonable. Something I want to ask you is you talked about when you when you go into these extensions, you're hoping that you're signing that guy to come out as a different player by the end of that contract. What's the, what's the projection of where, you know, this player that's been in the league for a couple of years, where are they going to be by the time they end this, they'll end this next contract or this extension, they'll be closer to that mid level of their career. If they're going to have a long NBA career and thus hitting close to their, to their prime as a player. So for Rob Williams, where do you see, the optimal level that he can reach as a as a big man in this league. Hmm. Okay, so you, me, and you have spoke multiple times about having tiers of big men. <laughs> this is exactly where I was going with it. Yeah, <laughs> you have your elite tier, right? I think if Rob Williams can can lose these injuries, like, and be a fairly, you know, I'm not asking for 82 games every year. That's not viable. Yeah. Not in the modern NBA, um, you know. But if you can be healthy for 65 of them and then you're good to go in the playoffs and you continue to develop because I will say that when I talk about being a better player than you was when you signed that extension I am very specifically talking about the first contract after your rookie deal I hope I made that clear earlier for anyone listening Um, but I think Rob Williams if he could stay healthy and continue to develop would be a very high tier too big I think we'd be talking like you know top five of the tier two bigs mm-hmm. you know there'd still be a very clear defined hierarchy in a level above him that he will never reach because you know he doesn't have a three-point shot he doesn't have the best dribbling ability he's not going to create his own shot he's not going to get in the ball on, exactly. the, on the post and have him go to work you know? he just doesn't have the embed physicality the Nikola Jokic touch from deep, you know, but I and he's think six he, eight. He's also six eight. You know, that's as much as his athletic ability helps to make up for that fact. That is a reality when you look at those. And most of the the players that were are the centers that were are big men that we're talking about fall into that unicorn category. They're all generally six ten at a minimum, and typically six eleven and over. And that's a limitation to him. I think he's more athletically gifted than most of those 6'10", 6'11", guys. But the fact of the matter is you still lose that in position. But I'd say, you know, if we were going to say, would he be a top 10 center in his prime? I think that's fair to assume that that's a possibility. Top eight, I wouldn't feel too scared about saying that either. But I think that's his ultimate ceiling, which maxes out in the top eight of bigs. I don't know if you'd agree or disagree there because you've still got other young bigs coming through as well. 
you know, that are going to keep developing at the same time. James Wiseman's in the league mm-hmm. now, you know, um, Jarrett Jackson Jr.'s in the league. I yeah. think Jaren, you know, there's other bigs that will be developing at the same time. So I think top eight big man in the league is his absolute ceiling. Where do yeah. you think? I think somewhere in that tier two range, you know, like you said, he's limited as to, to getting to that top, top tier. And that's okay because there's only going to be, there's a reason there's only five or six of those guys that exist in the entire world. So that's not a knock on him or his game or where we think he can develop. But, you know, given the injury history and if you're, if we're almost banking on, it seems like he's a guy that's missing 25 to 30% of the, of the games each year. And you're hoping that you're managing his his time, his energy, his injury risk, so that he's ready for the postseason. I think that tier two range and probably hovering somewhere around, you know, I think as long as, especially where we anticipate the Jays to get to, because the Jays are where this team goes over the next four or five years. As long as they're here and they're part of the plan, this team goes where they go. So it's about complementing them. So as long as Rob Williams, for me, can be in the top, 12 or so centers in this league that you feel confident enough that he's not going to put you at a loss and he's going to elevate certain aspects of your game that are not highlighted by other parts of your roster that's a huge win and so for me that's enough and that's what I would need to see and a lot of it really just ties to that health but it's such a concern big men lower bodies historically not great you know and even if it's not the same problem continual problems come up it's just the unfortunate fact that some guys are injury prone. Some guys just get hurt. And I don't know if that's going to end up being, you know, Rob Williams' story. But but I do have the concern of, you know, if he's here three, four years, especially on that timeline with the Jays, is that the Celtics are sitting around in this prison of hope where we hope Rob Williams is going to be here. Here's the potential with Rob Williams. But if you go through another year like this, and this year might have been an anomaly, so I don't want to use this as, you know, this is fact, how it's going to go for, for his career going forward. But if you go through two, three more years where you end up in these big moments and the guy that you're expecting to be one of those top compliments to your core is not available, that's just not a way to live, you know, and that's going to be tough with the limited cap flexibility that we have. And so you have to figure out what chances you're willing to take. And that's where the big part is, is not over committing financially to a guy that you're not sure is going to be dependable. So to play devil's advocate here, because I agree with everything you've just said, but to play devil's advocate by giving him an eight to $10 million a year deal, while you are locking yourself into a prison of hope, which I love, I think that's should be the title <laughs> of the, of the episode, but, while you are doing that, you're also giving yourself an extremely tradable contract. And there's always going to be a team that will sell themselves on, hey, we have a different training staff, a different medical staff. We can get him right. You know, so I do think that while I agree, if, if he never progresses, if he's consistently hurt, like it does feel like at the moment he's made of glass. Yeah. But at the same time, Eight to ten million dollars is a great salary matching contract that multiple teams like to have a few of those on the books. And with Marcus Smart still coming to an end, maybe Robert Williams is the guy to pick up that mantle as the guy that's just going to be involved in every trade discussion for the duration of that next. You know what I mean? Yeah, he's Smart's the new offseason content. <laughs> yeah, he has to be. And I think that if I was if I was Rob Williams, for a while I know what I'm capable of. I'd be very tempted to enter into some extension talks at a bit of a discount just for a short period so I could prove myself. And if I don't prove myself, at least my bank account's healthy. Yeah, no, I I agree with that. And that's, you know, that's kind of the reason why, like you said, why Marcus Smart is continually the the topic of trade discussion is that 
for the last couple of years, we haven't had any tradable contracts, you know? So right now, and it took for half the year, Tristan Thompson wasn't available as a trade option because he had just signed in the off season. And so now, you know, we have a little bit of room this year with, with Marcus. We can add Tristan Thompson's 9 million into that, but you need a few of those to be able to move around and given his age and depending on what team you're looking at for a trade, you can certainly talk yourself into him. So, uh, like we said at the beginning, I think if you stick under that 10 to 12 million range and you can keep it two to three years, that seems like a win-win. And one of the things that I'm starting to, to realize now as, you know, as we're starting this offseason, which has been, you know, fast and furious with everything changing in the front office and head coaching change coming up here soon, which will dictate a lot of these. But one thing that we're going to learn really quickly is Brad Stevens has given some, you know, really solid post-game interviews. I like this player. This guy's doing this. This guy's really working his butt off. You know, he does this and that in practice. We're going to find out real quick what Brad Stevens really thinks about this team that he just worked with over the past year and who he thinks actually is meaningful, who he thinks he can move off, or who he wants to move off of. His true feelings about what this team can be and who he wants to give those extensions to – we're going to learn really quickly Brad's true feelings about this roster from this past year. So this is where it gets murky for me because I completely agree. And I think we're going to see how Brad evaluates talent differently now because this is talent he's choosing to put into the roster. Now he makes the team rather than coaches the team. And what, the first name that comes to my mind when I'm like, is this guy going to be in green next year? Is Semi Ojale. Like, by all of accounts, you know, a fantastic locker room guy, great example with how he works in the gym after after practice, after games. But he's just not that skilled. He's not. <laughs> Straight up. You know, like, if we're being honest, like, you know, you're a 3 and D wing that is very inconsistent hitting threes and can only D up a very specific type of player. Why are you still on the roster? Like one of the biggest things that hurt the Celtics this year was they had multiple specialists, but their specialists weren't very special. You know what I mean? You, so <laughs> I like you, that. You had Grant Williams, who's a specialist at, as a small ball five, Dean up on very physical, slow plodding bigs. But Grant Williams wasn't special this year. So he was just an ist. Do you get what just I mean? We got, you, no. we got a real good performance against Jokic off him, but they were very few and far between, primarily because he wasn't played in his best position. But it's the same with Shemi, a 3 and D wing specialist that is known to shut down physical wings. Very inconsistent from free, rarely shut down any physical wings this year. So where does Shemi fit into this roster? Is there a team, like, you know, his contract's, pretty, his contract's up this year, so he's available as a free agent. What is the need to bring him back? And the only thing, I could, the only reason I could see them continuing to move forward with Shemi is because they know it's a cheap deal and it's better the devil you know than the devil you don't. Yeah, so I think when it comes to the Ojale factory, it's probably time to close up shop and move on. Um, I think we've seen just about all we need to have. I mean, Semi seems fine. You know, he seems, you know, he's back end of the bench guy, 12th guy on your bench, 11th guy on your bench, and, and that's fine. I mean, like, I just think back to the beginning of the season when for a brief moment, there was this expect, not expectation, but this thought that maybe Semi has finally turned into something. I remember we saw him. I think this is the first year I've ever seen him bust out a Euro step in a game. Turns out he really can only do it in one very specific manner and one specific angle. There wasn't really much <laughs> to it other than that, but it was very exciting for, I don't know if this is third or fourth year after watching Semi for so many years and being like, man, this guy could be that three and D guy that's going to be great off the bench, spot starter, you know, when we need it. And have injuries 
And then everyone went nuts over this Eurostep and that was about the end of the, you know, the high points of semi season. So I think personally it's time to to move on and cut your losses. I do think back to the original point that I was saying about we're gonna find out how Brad really feels about this team. Semi's always felt like a guy Brad's really had been high on and always tries to probably to uh you know, to a fault, try and keep in the rotation and give him a few extra looks, a few extra minutes here and there. We know he loves putting him into the lineup uh, when we play the Bucks and Giannis. That's always been a big uh, a big move of Brad's is keeping him around for that. So I think it'll be interesting. I think the only way I could really see Semi coming back is kind of what you alluded to, where, you know, I think for now he's you cut him loose. You see, hey, if someone else is out there and wants to give you some money, good on you have fun. We appreciate your time here. But, you know, if he's hanging around towards the end of the offseason, there's not many other options. And if we bring back a guy that, you know, like you said, the the devil you know versus the one you don't, and it's it's a guy that knows the system, comfortable with the players, seems to be likable, you bring him back for a one-year, you know, million-dollar deal, minimum deal, whatever. I think that's the only way, and it's at the very end of the offseason when it's officially we've run out of options. But other than that, I think it's time to, to get some some new blood in here and, and say our goodbyes to semi Ojalade. And, I mean, that's not a bad thing. Like, this is a guy that was a second-round pick, and you've had more than enough production value out of him yeah. to feel very good about making that pick in the first place. There's been some good memories. And I like that you mentioned the Eurostep, because, as you said, he always thinking it. The other thing is, as well, like, he started attacking closeouts a little bit. He started putting the ball on the floor. But if anyone listened to the Kemba Walker episode, I was talking about how Paul Zingas was soft for attacking yeah. closeouts and then going up for that pull-up. That's because of his height and his shooting ability. For somebody like Shemi, who's a bit smaller and, you know, doesn't really have that level of skill and that body dexterity, when you beat the closeout, pull up, shoot the ball, man. You know, you've got Tristan Thompson, one of the league's best offensive rebounders around the room. Just take the shot. If it goes in, everyone's going to be like, Shemi beat a closeout, dribbled it a few times, hit the shot. Oh, my God, let's give Shemi more minutes. If it doesn't work, oh, well, Shemi missed. What else is new? Tristan Thompson got the <laughs> rebound. You know, it's not really a lose. It's, it's a win-win situation. And we didn't see enough, adv- like, was it courage? Adventurousness? Is that, in, you know? what He just what? looks very uneasy when he gets into that yeah. position. Like, it took him a while to even, you know, once the closeout comes, to even make that next step. But it just feels like a hot potato in his hands where I don't know if the game moves too fast for him at times, but you can see almost a little bit of panic as, you know, it's it's like a, a you know a kid getting into a high school game that's not ready to be in the high school game. He doesn't know what to do. And, you know, that, that's just what it feels like. And after year, you know, year one, year two, you're like okay i get it i get it by the time we're at year four with semi you know if that's part of the part of the you know maturation process that maybe it's just not going to click you know and and that becomes it is what it is so do you know the kevin hart um where he's like oh no oh no do you, do you know the bit uh, i i keep going because i'm loving that imitation of it you know the one right <laughs> i like think the... i know a good amount of kevin hart i'm not sure which which one you're you're uh going for right here it's oh man, it's just, I can't remember what which which stand up it's from, but it's just like oh now oh, I'm gonna have to find. I know it. the the voice is spot on, man. I love it. No, I, it's I, not. I know, <laughs> but, I, no, but I know the whiny like Kevin Hart voice that you're going for. But I that, know that that is the voice that plays in my head every time I see Shemi Ojale drive from the wing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm just like this is not going to end well, and then it's that Kevin Hart voice in my head, and it's like um my back's against the wall. This is not a drill. Help yeah. me. 
It's like, yeah, it's, help it's, me. <laughs> yes, I know. I know that one you're talking about. Yeah, like just past the rock, Shemi. So it's tough, man. Like I like the guy. I think that you've had plenty of value out of him, plenty of production. But um, I just think that new coach. There's going to be new ideas. You don't need a three and D specialist when you can have Aaron Neesmith that or can already do it at a much higher level than what Shemi can. So you now have a free and D specialist, and we spoke about this, how Neesmith came into the league as billed as a shooter, ended his rookie season, he's now classed as a free and D wing. I'm guaranteeing you within the next 18 months, we'll be talking about Aaron Neesmith as a free-level scoring wing. I'm very confident about that. And then what happens then is if you're a three-level scoring wing that can defend, we don't call you a three-level scoring wing. We call you a two-way wing. And now your value skyrockets. But that's a different discussion for a different day. But with that, with Aaron Neesmith being on this roster, there is no need for Shemi. Shemi is your very, very back, backup, 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 backup. Go and get somebody on their last legs in the NBA that can lean on, 10 to 12 years experience around the exactly. league that can impart some wisdom onto these guys rather find, than Shemi. find your Trevor Ariza. I don't know if it's actually Trevor Ariza, but go yeah, find somebody PJ that, Tucker that model. Some, yeah, that type of guy that doesn't need to play all the time, but his locker room presence adds value. If anyone follows me on Twitter, look at the tweet I put out about Jason Tatum and that, um, that stop kind of fully pivot into a fadeaway mid-range shot and how I said he definitely picked that up from Gordon Hayward there's value in having and I know Hayward was an all-star when he signed he was close to an all-star level uh, very short periods during his time with the team but he was there but Tatum picked something up from him the same will happen by bringing a vet in and just putting him on the 12th to 13th man because these guys are around him in practice just because we don't see him practicing doesn't mean it don't happen this year obviously it didn't happen yeah but (laughs) But what I'm saying is, like, you know, you bring in an Ariza or a PJ Tucker and see how other guys around them start picking up bits of their game and developing because of that. There's value there. Shemi doesn't bring that because Shemi doesn't have that experience. He doesn't have those nuanced little tricks that he's picked up. So it's got a big goodbye for Shemi from me. Yeah, I, 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 I'm with you on that. And, and I think something that, you know, and this might be a little bit subjective or anecdotal, but, you know, having somebody not semi on the end of that bench, and you think about our whole end of the bench, Carson, Taco, Tremont, you know, the list goes on and on of all these young guys. You know, you think about the value of, it, it maybe not, it doesn't have to be Udonis Haslam, but having a veteran at the end of the bench, when you think about all the things that were going wrong with the Celtics team on the court, what are these, these young guys have not been through these battles. They're not battle tested. They don't have anything to fall back on. Like, hey, I know y- y'all think we're out of this, but let me show, l- let me remind you of the time I played for, you know, Team X with LeBron. Or let me tell you about this time I was in Memphis and we were with, you know, the grinded out Grizzlies and here's what we did. These get. These are all young kids that are all their memories are going to be. I remember when I was at LSU and I was a big man on campus and I was defensive player of the year. Oh, really? Okay, cool. I was at Purdue getting buckets. You know, like that's the conversation that goes on the bench. There's nothing that they can bring from their past NBA life. They don't have a past NBA life. And I do think that that might have had an impact on such a young team where everyone on that bench is within the first three or four years and has no outside experience in the larger NBA world. Yeah, it's like I remember when I was in um, a state finals for for college. Like you can imagine it when they're on, when they're in the locker room. They're like, dude, when we was in the state finals, we were struggling, and this is how we fixed it. And then you have Tate. I'm like, okay, who was their best scorer? I don't know. We're gonna call him Jim. So where, <laughs> where did 
where does Jim play now? Oh, he's a used car salesman in Arkansas. Exactly. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> yeah. the, difference, the difference is like, hey, yeah, Jim's selling cars in Arkansas. You're playing against LeBron James tomorrow. Like you've got to fix up and you need yeah. that veteran. You need that veteran leadership for that. Um, the Absolutely. young guys. You know, Jim from Arkansas, whoever you are, like you might have got buckets in college, but you're not in the league. So yeah, shout out to Jim. I'm sure he's got a good, you know, 2003 Ford Explorer. Maybe got a good deal on it. Yeah, man, he's got that buck Chevy as a restoration project in his garage, dude. Like, yo, I'm sorry, man. This is a fictional guy, but it's just to prove the point of, hey, when you were playing in college, the reason you're in the NBA is because you were arguably the best player on the floor every time you got on the floor or one of the most promising players. Now you're in the NBA. These guys are absolute like machines of genius. They operate as a unit. They will tear you apart as a unit. And then you will have individual moments of absolute brilliance that are just going to light you up. And if you don't have a vet shouting on the bench to just let it go, let it go, move on, next set, next play, next play then it can quickly become quite disheartening. And you saw that with the Celtics this year. Yeah, and Jimmy from Arkansas ain't getting it done. So I, I think the greater point of this is that, yeah, I think some veteran presence is is going to be an upgrade over Semi. Having Semi, ha- having Semi at the end of the bench versus having a veteran with experience at the end of the bench, both of which you should not anticipate to get a great deal of on-court play from because that's why they're a 11th or 12th man on your roster. The value should lie in this new Stevens regime here in getting a veteran presence that was definitely lacking over the last year plus let's say with this team yeah they thought jeff teague was going to be that guy but what they didn't what they quickly realized was there's a reason jeff teague is jeff teague yeah he's had a couple he's had a couple uh jeff teague moments and i don't mean that in a good way uh in that bucks net series where uh the jeff teague that we became all too aware of during his small time here with the celtics has uh has reared its head yeah, dude does not like to pass the rock, man. Um, <laughs> I saw, I think it was, I can't remember if it was game one or game two. I think he pulled up from three with like 20 seconds on the clock. And it was like, dude, you have Giannis, Middleton, Holiday, Lopez. I can keep going on. Anyone else that's on that court, you are likely to be Portis, that fifth. Forbes, yeah. You're likely to be that fifth option. I don't care. I don't know who else is out there. You are almost automatically by default, minus maybe PJ Tucker from a from an offensive scoring standpoint you're going to be the fifth option on that court you have absolutely zero freaking business taking a three-pointer with 20 seconds on the shot clock and that i mean like i understand why they did it and they thought tristan thompson was going to be that guy as well i think tristan thompson had a really positive impact in the playoffs but i think um because tristan thompson so evidently doesn't value the regular season that's not the best mentor to have you and know he, what i mean well he did also talk about you know just like without fans he couldn't get into it you know and so i wonder yeah. and like you said the playoffs he did seem like like a different guy you know i feel like tristan thompson almost had like two to three different seasons throughout this i felt like the first version of tristan thompson that we got in the year it felt very like oh this is a professional that we have that just joined this team the way he was setting screens rebounding and then it felt like mid-year i don't know if it's the malaise of not having the fans started to get to him because maybe it was you know just being back because the Cavs didn't go to the bubble so it had been quite a while since tristan thompson played nba level basketball and so getting back it felt maybe you know was energizing then the malaise of no fans being around throughout the season seemed to wear on him. And then you saw that different version that you're mentioning here in the playoffs. So I think it's going to be really interesting to see 
what we get from Tristan Thompson, if he's still on this roster next year, because as we mentioned, he's one of those tradable contracts that, that could be thrown around in a deal. So, and I'm sure we'll, we'll, we'll find a way to throw him into a couple ourselves, but you know, if he does come back, I'm curious to see what we get from Tristan Thompson on a full season and, and what he does, what he does value or not value when it comes to the re- to a full regular season with assuming, you know, full fans in the stands. And an assum- assum- uh, presumptive improved roster. Presumptive. Now, the one thing I will say for everyone listening, I can hear you already in my head saying, if you're talking about guys with expiring deals, why haven't we hit on Tremont Waters and Taco Fall? Those guys are two-way deals. So to be quite honest with you, they're gone, if we're being honest. They do I have think- one more year of eligibility. I looked into this because after they you did, and I talked but- uh, a little while ago, they have one more year of eligibility on that two-way deal. They do, but do they? Do do Boston really want to spend another year? Like Taco Fall, now you know that you know he needs to be playing regular NBA minutes at this point. Otherwise, he's just not going to make it. This year was a big loss for his development. Mm-hmm. Being, you know, Tremont Waters had some really nice moments, but again, wouldn't you rather it be a vet? You know, if you're going to take two way guys, maybe look at some high upside guys that don't get drafted in this year's draft, that are, which is ridiculously deep. I just don't see why. Taco and Tremont would want to come back, and I don't see why Boston would want to run it back with them. Selfishly, I love Taco. I love having. I, I want to go back to the Garden one more time, be there for a Celtics blowout, and get a little Taco chant going. So selfishly, because I haven't had a chance to be back to the Garden in quite a while, I'd love to see Taco back. But I think ultimately, you know, we, we mentioned this several pods ago. If, if they can get a deal, they got to go take a deal. You know what I mean? If, if someone's offering you a guarantee that's not a two-way contract and you're Tremont and especially Taco at this point because he is an older second-year player, I think he's 25 maybe. I could be wrong on that. But somewhere in that range, you know, he needs to go and take that. And I think someone would take a gamble on Taco. And I think it's really interesting watching the Mavs and watching Boban. Now, they have very different games, but, you know, 7-3 guys or 7-4, seven, 7-5 seven, guys that are out there making a difference. And I think Taco has shown levels of improvement. So I do think there's someone out there that just for his pure size and also the attractiveness that, you know, he brings to bring energy to a crowd, somebody will, will give Taco a contract. For some reason, I've got this really sneaking suspicion. It'll be Detroit. Interesting. What, what do you think? What do you think is giving you that intuition? They went really big in the last three. Well, they love big. They love big guys in free agency. Yeah. No, but seriously, about feel, 17 of them. I don't know. I've just got this. I can just, I, I feel very comfortable with the idea of Taco Fall as a rotation piece on Detroit. Um, if it weren't Detroit, I could see maybe Orlando. And if it wasn't Orlando, then I think it would be the Cavs. But it'd be a team in that echelon. So you you're know. looking at all the teams that love big guys. Yeah, obviously. That's the way it works. <laughs> They're just you know? collecting big guys. <laughs> or if we want to be really outside the box, maybe the Kings take a punt because, you know, it's the Kings. The Kings, you never know. They're a wild card, man. Whatever whatever the Kings are going to do. They've been in purgatory for so long that they're just hoping something sticks. They own purgatory at this point. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. They, they own, own residency own there. They need to draft a guy called Hercules and hope he drags them out, man. <laughs> Seriously, dude. Right, everybody, you've been listening to the Friday episode of the Celtics pod. As usual, I'm your boy, Adam Taylor. This is our boy, Mr. Will Weir. Our social media links will be in the description of the episode. Apple has updated, so please make sure you hit that follow button. It no longer says subscribe, it says follow. Yeah, causing chaos with that update. I've had some people who have uh, not reacted greatly to the update from Apple. So yeah, make sure you all go hit that follow button though. Make sure when, if you are on Apple, please scroll down a little bit. You'll see a nice little five-star section. Hit that five stars, leave something nice. 
please. Very nice. I check them pretty much daily. And, you know, when it's nice, I'm happy. When it's bad, I'm very sad. I'd much rather you DM me with criticism. I'm very receptive. You know, we can work on tell me what you don't like, what you do like, whatever it may be. Make sure you show Mr. Wilson love. And we will catch you again on Monday, where probably between now and then, there's going to be absolutely nothing new. <laughs> Welcome to the offseason, baby. The glory of the offseason, baby. Ain't disrespecting you haters, I ain't sweating your opinion Y'all been testing my patience, never did it for a check I've been impressed with the famous, just rather be creative Than stressing my wages, ageless every time I lay a verse down One play at a time, keep it moving like a first down And at the end of the day, I can say that I made this MJ never made it to the majors, still he chased greatness Expected that he might fail, and I might too I might never get to pop champagne, celebrating with the crew This ain't everything I am, it's something that I do